I'm going to read this morning from Romans 8, verses 12 to 17. And it'll be up on the screen behind me. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. This is the word of the Lord. messed it up. Go back for me, would you? Thanks. Romans 8 is about as rich theologically as it gets, and especially this middle section. I don't know of any group of words in the scripture. All scripture is important. All scripture is beneficial. All scripture is God-breathed. But I don't know of any section of scripture that is this packed with the promises of God that we receive through faith in Jesus Christ. The beginning of Romans 8, which is not what I'm preaching on, but I want to come back to it because there is such an emphasis in it. And we hold that intention as we receive the rest of the, of the text. The beginning of Romans 8 says, There is therefore now no condemnation, com- condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If someone came up to you and said, there is therefore now no, you'd think that's an odd way of speaking, but you would know that they really want to emphasize what they're about to say. And I preached on this last week, and I don't think it was the worst sermon ever, but I do not think I emphasized as much as I want to how strongly Paul is saying this to us. He's going to say it again at the end of Romans 8. He's going to say some things adjacent to it. And the, the other reason I wanted to bring it up is because what we do in light of that is what verses 12 and 13 are saying. In light of the fact that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ, there is therefore now no, then we get to put to, get to death. We get to participate with the Holy Spirit in removing the parts of us that would lead us towards lives of death instead of lives of life. We get to learn to and ever increasingly ignore the voices that would guide us towards harm, lack of love, Paul writes, so then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, 
to live according to the flesh. You notice he doesn't say who we're debtors to because we've been freed. But he says we're debtors, we're not debtors to the unsanctified parts of us. You know that part part of you when you think, "I, I should probably pray this morning. And you're like, nah. That's an unsanctified part and you're not a debtor to that voice. You know that part of you that would call someone a name because you're mad at them? And I'm not talking about a name that's descriptive. I'm talking about that they're just because they're an idiot. That's an immature part of you. We share it. And you're not a debtor to that voice. What time is it? 11? About an hour ago, I spilled apple juice all over my sermon notebook. So for like a year, my sermon notebook's just going to smell like apples. Matt, a normal person wouldn't spill apple juice on their sermon notebook in between the services, right? That's the voice. Is that how God talks about me? No. That's the flesh. That's an immature part of me, and I'm not a debtor to that voice. And if you're a follower of Jesus, you're not a debtor to that voice either. either. Not to the desires that would lead you away from life in Christ, not to the actions, and not even to the voice. It was fun to get to apply my own sermon this morning in between preaching it once and preaching it a second time. We have tendencies towards greed, lust, disproportionate shame, fear, anger. Those things have their place in life. That's how humans survive, is fear. But there's time that fear overtakes us. And we get to speak back to that fear or that shame and say, no, I'm not a debtor to you. I'm alive in Christ because of Jesus. This is Paul's version of when Jesus said, if your eye causes you to sin, cut it out. He's using as strong language as he can. He's emphasizing the point as strongly as he knows how as a writer. Because, of course, the point is not to cut your eye out because your other eye would still sin. The point is we have the opportunity to avoid lives of death by trusting Christ and being led by the Spirit and putting to death the natural deeds and desires, voices, actions of the body. This is called sanctification. This is a Presbyterian church. There are a number of confessions and catechisms that we like. One of them is the Westminster Confession of Faith, which asks this question very helpfully. What is growth as a Christian or sanctification? It's this, and this is what's available to you, and this is long theological language But friends, this is what's available to us in Christ. This is what's happening to us right now in our worship. This is what happens when we pray. This is what happens when we speak against that voice, this kind of growth. Sanctification is a work of God's grace for those whom God has chosen to be holy before the beginning of the world and to whom in time the powerful operation of the Spirit applies the death and resurrection of Christ. They are thus renewed in their whole persons after the image of God, have the seeds of repentance unto life 
and all the other saving graces put into their hearts. And these graces are so aroused, increased, and strengthened that they more and more die to sin and rise into the newness of life. The good news is not about sin management, but the good news frees us ever increasingly away from sin that we might live lives of life. We do this, we put these things to death because of the Spirit. Verse 14 says, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. What does it mean to be led by the Spirit of God? On your best day, you know, everything's where it's supposed to be in your house. You slept well. You know that driving to church on a Sunday, you know that driving to church, you're not going to have issues with anybody in the room. Your worship preferences on the car ride actually just feel like preferences. You're like, it's cool. Whatever we sing, it's going to be fine. And you're excited because you long to worship God because you love him. When you see other people, your thought process is, not your thought process, you, you inst- ever more instinctively see them as a child of God, not someone who's in your way or someone who could be useful or someone who may or may not have something to offer you. When you see problems in the world, they neither cause you to despair nor do you think you're insignificant. I think that's what it means to be led by the Spirit of God into worship, our treatment of other people, and our role in the world. And this is where every Christian tradition agrees, though we would order it differently. There's an expectation that it matters to be a follower of Christ and that you will grow. The New Testament the, the whole Bible actually answers thousands of times, directly and indirectly, the question that humans wrestle with all the time, which is, do people change? Verse 14 fully expects that if you have given your allegiance to Jesus, you are led by the Spirit in all ways of life. How you talk, how you think, how you worship, how you spend your Sunday morning. This is supposed to sound like encouragement, because you're here in order to worship God. You're here to grow up in faith how you treat people. Those that are led by the Spirit are bothered by their sin. And I think we're bothered less by others' sin. Not because it's not harmful, but because we're so humble that God would come and save us. That leads us to long to put to death our sins and tendencies to sins, but perhaps to be even less and less bothered by theirs. Not because it's not harmful, because we're so humbled that God pursued us in love. All who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. And the beginning of that is receiving. That's my son. When I feed him, He's not talking yet. He simply receives. 
especially if it's yogurt or applesauce. And the beginning of the Christian life is God's pursuit of us, but our first action is receiving. Our first action is thankful receiving of what God did because of who he is through the work of Christ that the Holy Spirit gives to us. All who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. We put to death because of the Spirit who is our Father. You did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The height and the richness of these verses of this whole chapter is incredible. It is a unique honor to attempt to teach them to you. And I hope that you're encouraged. If you're not encouraged by Romans 8, then I am not doing a good job, and I'm fine with that. My encouragement, if you're not encouraged, is to go and read these passages again. Because if you are in Christ, they will warm your heart and your mind and your very will. Listen to 8.1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Here again, verse 15. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Hear the end of Romans 8. Know in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor death, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. What God did in Christ was restore your relationship with him because that's who he is. And it's challenging to, uh, to many of us, though not all of us, that the word father is so important to the scriptures. And it's not only because of our own biological family, it's culture also. I'm reading a book called Silence and Beauty um, by a Japanese-American Christian. And in Japan, fathers typically are very austere and withhold their love. And mothers tend to offer unconditional love. And therefore, in that culture, the Christian gospel... Um, has had a rough go. Our culture is imperfect as well. And so when we hear the word father, we get all mixed up, both for our own reasons and for cultural reasons. And the things that we might naturally attribute to a mother, God attributes to himself also. In Matthew 23, Jesus likens himself to a mother who longs to gather Jerusalem. In Psalm 131, God likens himself to the epitome of nurture. And he describes himself as father. And we get to be grasped by the truth that he is strong and kind and good. And then we call him Abba, as Jesus did and as we get to because of the work of Christ. 
This is in some ways an indirect reference to the Exodus. In Exodus chapter 4, God calls the nation of Israel his son. And it is also a profound scripture, verse 15, about the reality of life without the Spirit and with the Spirit. If God exists and there's no grace, we will be overcome with dread of him. If there is moral law and the Holy Spirit doesn't free us into union with God, then that moral law will give us a constant existential pressure or lead us to despair. That's the spirit of slavery that we are freed from because that is who God is, what Jesus did, and what the Holy Spirit not only did in pursuing you in love, but is doing right now. Freeing you from that. Into relating to God as Father. Which might sound emotional, but it is not. I would say it is intellectual first, then emotional. Certainly both, and even more profound than that. That we get to call God Father because of what Jesus did. I hope that you do in your prayers. I hope that you teach your children to pray that way. It is such a relief to me to teach my children that they have a father who is always good and strong and kind because theirs is not. We put to death temptations and sins because, of, because the Spirit, our Father, has brought us in. Abba has brought us in. When our children are young, we protect them because they can't do anything when they're little. Need entire supervision, right? Right around the time they start going to school, we help them understand the world. We introduce them to it. There's a point in time where they start getting more of the world than we would protect, perhaps like, but we still get to help them interpret it. And they get a little bit older, and we get to walk alongside our children. God has done all of those things as your father, and he will continue to do them until you go to be with him or he returns. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we also may be glorified with him. There's a song that uh, Daniel has played for us before. I can't remember if Phil's played it. All my life you have been faithful. All my life you have been so, so good. It hasn't always felt good, right? Verse 17 alludes to the sufferings. And these sufferings are, are a deliberate reference to um, Jesus' return. Meaning between now and then, we're going to experience the harsh realities of a world not yet made new by him. That's the kind of suffering this is talking about. And yet we get to remember that all our life he has been faithful and good to us because he is our dad, because he is our father.
and some and one of the ways that we grow through suffering is during the suffering or after the suffering we are even more assured of our faith that's not why we suffer that is one of the things that suffering does And because I'm committed to preaching the text, we end up talking about suffering all the time, even amongst some of the richest, most lovely promises that are yours in Christ. It sounds like Paul is making a conditional statement here when he says, provided we suffer with him, but it's not an if-then. What he's telling us is, your life in Christ will include suffering and that suffering will eventually assure your heart in some measure until we go to be with him where he returns to make all things new. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, this is the gospel. This is thick theology, but it's also simple. Because of what Jesus did, we are reconciled to God. That's really good news. Do you remember what God said when Jesus was baptized? This is my beloved with whom I am well pleased. And you are an heir of that promise. That's what Paul is saying here. Be grasped by that. Drink that in intellectually and emotionally and in your very being. Because of what Jesus did and the Holy Spirit's pursuit of you, you are beloved with whom he is well pleased. Would you pray with me? Father, Son, and Spirit, would you help us to indeed put to death that which is immature and harmful and and that which tempts us? And would you help us to trust the Holy Spirit that is in us, the Spirit of life? Father, Son, and Spirit, we love and trust you. Help us to love and trust you more deeply. Amen.